Well, let's come to God. Let's pray together. Invite his blessing uh, in our lives right now as we look into his word. Let's pray. Gracious God, it's an amazing thing when we realize how much you love us and how much you are for us and how much you have blessed our lives and God, uh, how you've provided for us. And God, our, our prayer now is that as we come to this sermon, as I seek to teach your word uh, to these people, that Lord, uh, you will speak. Use my words to communicate your truth, Lord, and open the ears of your people to really hear what Scripture has to say about your church, this incredible thing that you've created for our blessing and for our good. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I have had reason this week to sit back. It actually grew out of a devotional time that I had with God, but to sit back and think about all the blessings of God in my life. Uh, one after the other came to my mind, again and again and again. I think God's Spirit really just spoke into my mind and, and helped me realize, my goodness, I am blessed. God has done so much for me. These are all the good things that he has brought into my life. And I was reminded in that process of how good God is and how much he is for me, as I prayed a minute ago. How incredibly um, much, how incredibly he blesses my life over and over and over again, and he has for a long, long time. And I want to suggest that that might be something for you to do. Just by the way, great exercise, a great um, uh, thing to sit down with and just get into God's presence with. Ask God to help you remember and to be thankful. But I want to ask you uh, this morning, if you have ever done that, or if you were to do that right now, just take a, take a minute and, and start making that list of the incredible things God's done for you. Would you include the fact or the reality of the church that you're a part of? Would you sit back and say, God, thank you so much for creating the church, for leading me into it, for blessing my life with it? In recent weeks, we've talked about how the church has existed to really help people grow, and I hope the church has and will really help you deepen in faith profoundly as you exercise those means of grace in order to experience God and be transformed by his truth, by the work of his spirit. We've talked about how the church is a gift of God to us where we can experience koinonia, deep connection in life as people love one another, as they experience God together. It's a remarkable thing when people really encounter that. I'm going to ask you this morning about one more possibility. I'm going to ask you this question. If you were to think about the church, would it ever come to your mind that you would say, thank you, God, for the spiritual leadership that you have provided for me in my life and for us as a church? You know, th that's something that maybe is less common in people's minds. It's, it's, but it's something that God has given to us. He's, he's weaved into the reality of the church that I want to speak to you today. I've realized in preparing this sermon uh, in the many, many years I've been pastor at IPC, I don't think I've ever spoken on this topic, at least as directly and as thoroughly as I'm about to. And I've wondered why, and the only reason I can come up with is that somewhere at the back of my mind, not consciously, I don't think, but I haven't wanted to teach about or, 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 or give people reason to think about me and my role, and then, of course, the elders of the church generally, because the eldership is the leadership the spiritual leadership of a congregation. But I think, honestly, for us to really understand the church, to recognize how important it is to be part of a church body, we have to recognize that church body, biblically speaking, has spiritual leadership appointed by God, 
for the blessing of God's people. Again, those maybe who are doing church much more casually and, and so forth might think they're doing church, but very often this dynamic is just not present. It is absent, and the blessing as a result isn't there. So we're going to look at this topic. We're going to think about the reality of spiritual leadership and spiritual authority which God gives to the leaders of the church. And I hope you're really open to that. I would invite you to think about uh, these principles, this teaching that I give to you, and say, how does that apply to my life? How is that relevant to me? And we'll try to give some attention to that as we go. First of all, all through the Bible, God has appointed leaders for his people. I mean, it's just everywhere. Think just briefly of Moses, God calling Moses and saying, go to my people in Egypt and set them free. And Moses went, and who did he speak to? He spoke to the elders of the Israelites. And they then agreed to follow Moses to the promised land. Leadership of Moses, appointed by God. Leadership of the God's people making decisions and leading them forward as a result. Think about Moses in the wilderness when Leadership was becoming too burdensome for him. It was overwhelming him. So many decisions, so many judgments that he had to make about uh, circumstances among the Israelites. And Jethro's father-in-law came along and said, listen, you need to appoint other leaders in order to share the burden, which is, of course, what Moses did, and that worked. And, you know, he appointed others to walk alongside him. And they had spiritual leadership and they had authority to make decisions on his behalf and uh, indeed on God's behalf. Move forward to the, to the uh, kings of Israel. Think of David, you know, anointed by Samuel, anointed by the prophet to become the future king. This was a decision of God mediated through his prophet, choosing the future king of Israel, the one who would lead, the one who would have God's authority for leadership. Then move into the New Testament. Jesus appointed it appointed apostles, gave them spiritual authority to be the leaders of the church in, in, uh, in Jerusalem and beyond. When Paul was engaging in his three missionary journeys, and we read about them in the book of Acts, whenever he established the church and then moved on to establish another church in another location after a, a few years, he would appoint elders in that place uh, to, to, to have leadership, to, to play this incredibly important function in the life of a congregation in his absence. He even taught Titus. You can check it in, in, in Titus chapter 1, verse 5. He, he said, you know, make sure you appoint elders, right? So critical in his mind was that reality. And then again, I want to quickly mention Acts 15. Mentioned this a few weeks ago. But there was a decision, there was a, an issue in the early church, and even the apostles couldn't agree about what this meant and and what was the mind of God, what was God's will. And they all came together in the council of Jerusalem and they gathered and and they debated and a decision was made which was considered authoritative. And even the apostles accepted and respected the authority of of the council. And there was this recognition that God bringing everyone together would speak through that council to 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 the apostles themselves and of course to everyone. And, you know, we have a very similar sort of system today. We still have elders in a church. I'm one of them. I'm called the teaching elders. The others are called ruling elders. It's a bit archaic. But, you know, I have a particular role, and, and, and they have their particular role, appointed by God to lead God's people and given spiritual authority to do so. And we're going to talk about that. Uh, you know, I would suggest that everyone has this accountability. Uh, we as elders, we are accountable to our governing body, a presbytery, and a general assembly. 
that, that is the way the structure of the church has been created, as we see in uh, Acts 15 and in other places. So yes, there's organization, there's structure, there are defined roles, there are specific responsibilities, all in Scripture, all established by God. Now hear me, for the blessing of God's people and for the good of the kingdom of God. It's there. And it's time for us, if you would, to unpack this. This, by the way, this teaching has been all but lost very often in the church in the 21st century, certainly in, in the West. You don't hear about this much anymore. Uh, people m- might be surprised to hear about some of the things that I'm going to preach, but it's straight from Scripture. You be like the Berean Christians who go to Scripture to figure out if what I'm saying is actually from the Word of God. And I think if you do, I hope you'll recognize that I'm being faithful to the text. So, question becomes, what do elders do? What do they do? And how might this apply to your life? That's, that's a, a really interesting way that I hope you engage this. Well, I'm going to start at Acts chapter 20. Paul is um, leaving the Ephesian church, and he gathers the elders together, and it's tearful because he said, you'll never see me again, and there's real love and trust among uh, this group of elders. Uh, and he gives this instruction. And and there's some really good stuff for us to unpack from it. So Acts chapter 20, verses 28 to 30. It says this, Paul instructing the elders, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. My goodness, there is so much there, but let me start with the idea that, first of all, God calls the elders of this church shepherds. It's probably the most common reference. Overseers is there as well, gives oversight to a church. But shepherds, let's think about that, that reality. Christ is the good shepherd, he's the great shepherd, and he appoints under shepherds, if you want to put it that way, in order to represent him, to exercise his authority, and to lead the congregation. And that's what we have today, my friends, shepherds. And then very specifically, this task of shepherding, and we'll talk about some others in a moment, but this task of shepherding in this text is, is uh, defined as essentially protect the church that I died for, Jesus says. Understand again, Jesus loves his church and he is passionately committed to his church and he's saying to these elders, you protect this congregation of people. It's precious to me. I've shed my blood for it, the text says. And how is this played out in this text? Well, Paul says, wolves will come among you like a wolf among a flock. And what what does a wolf do among a flock of sheep? It it seeks to kill and to destroy. Paul's serious in, in his comments here. And how does this happen according to the text? Well, very simply, he says that these wolves, these people who who will either arise from the congregation or come into the congregation, will seek to distort the truth. Now, that's really an interesting comment from, from the Apostle Paul. He's saying that if people come in and they don't faithfully teach the gospel of Christ and they don't faithfully teach the reality of Scripture, it's going to be incredibly destructive both to this congregation and to the people of this church. Boy, the teaching is is incredibly, incredibly important. So what he is saying is make sure, elders, that no false teaching comes among you. And today, one of the critical responsibilities of the eldership, and we have eight elders in our church, 
The critical responsibility is to make sure biblical teaching is faithful to Scripture and that no false teaching becomes part of what is taught here at, at any level, youth ministry, children's ministry, life groups, etc., etc., etc. Now, there's something really significant that we've got to recognize, and that is that false teaching and false teachers, false prophets more in the Old Testament, same kind of concept, that this false teaching truly can be devastating for a church. I want to read to you 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter um, 4 and verse, verses 2 to 4. So let me read this for you. Paul again writing, he's writing to Timothy, his protege, who's become a pastor, and he's coaching him along. He says this, Preach the word of God. Be prepared in season or out of season. The primacy again of teaching scripture to the well-being in the life of a church. It's the role of an elder. It's the role I carry and have uh, in this congregation. Then he says this, Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Now, Paul is, uh, is basically saying in this instance, yeah, there are false teachers and there is false teaching. And Timothy, as an elder in that church, deal with it. Don't leave it alone. I think it's really a significant point that, is, that, that needs to be reflected on. That what is being described in both of these texts is this. Not all teaching is of God. Not all teaching that arises in the church is faithful to Scripture. There is false teaching that must be rejected. Paul uses the term here, I believe, um, uh, to rebuke and to correct. Those are strong words. But it is the task of the eldership to make sure that that happens when necessary. There are false teachers. There are false prophets. There is, there is false teaching itself, which can be incredibly destructive to the people of Christ and to the church itself. Now, uh, I want to suggest to you, my friends, this role is critical, and I hope that you recognize that the spiritual leadership has the authority to do so and indeed must act in that fashion when necessary. Well, I want to go to Romans chapter 6. We're going to stay on this theme for just a little while and uh, look at another text which, um, which is really pretty significant. Romans chapter 16. I'm going to read verses 17 and 18. It's about the elders addressing need within the congregation and doing so explicitly. What it says there is this. I, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching that you have learned. There it is again, accuracy of teaching, communicating the historic reality of what the gospel is. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Wow. Paul, Paul's a strong character, and he, he doesn't mind speaking directly into things. But my question for you is twofold. The idea of, 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 of people coming among us causing division. We have to address that as a church. And but Paul, Paul it's, it's one of the tasks of an elder. When a divisive person, it says elsewhere in Scripture, is there, deal with that person. The idea of deception, people coming and deceiving others. When that's going on in a church, who takes care of that? See, one of the things that I've realized, it took me a good long while to, for this to sort of click in in my mind, 
that when there are folks in the congregation who are hurting the church, either dividing the congregation or deceiving the congregation, it's the role of the elders to address it. Most people don't, won't and don't want to address that, but the elders are put in place by God, appointed, ordained, in order to act as leadership to protect the church from division and from deception. That is, this is all about protecting the well-being of the congregation. It's a blessing of God. And then one more in a similar light, the role of the elder comes to loving, gracious, spiritual discipline in the life of some people who have fallen into sin. You know, that sometimes happens among us. And it's an incredibly important uh, reality that God has given to the elders to, to, to play out. I'm going to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It's sort of the classic instance where Paul teaches about the need to intervene in someone's life when they really are caught up in sin and they don't recognize it and they need people to come along into their lives and sit down with them and lovingly and graciously call them back to faithfulness to Jesus. But to do so to protect the church. So let me read this to you. The, the circumstances that there's a, a young man who is sleeping with his stepmother, essentially. <coughs> uh, it seems, it's not absolutely clear, but it's an illicit affair and it's ungodly. Um, no one has done anything about this, including the elders of the church, and Paul is calling them to act. So 1 Corinthians 5, 1 to... Um, 1 to 5, it says this, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I'm not physically present, I am with you in spirit. And as one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. Paul has acted on behalf of Christ. So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit and the power of the Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Now again, Paul's strong. He's speaking pretty powerfully at this point. But what's going on here is in his mind, and he's an apostle, he's a representative of Christ, he's been authorized to lead He's saying this is completely unacceptable. This is not what should be going on in the church of Christ. And worse than even the fact that it's happening, these people are proud of it. They're saying, well, we're free in Christ. We can do whatever we want. It doesn't matter how people live. Wrong, says Paul. It does matter. And it's, it, 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 it needs addressed. And he comes along in, in this uh, chapter and writing this letter to the people, uh, the leadership in Corinth, and he's saying, intervene in this young man's life for the sake of his salvation. So he might be saved, Paul says. See, elders are called to do this, I would say even today, because it's so important. It has to be pastoral, it has to be loving, it has to be incredibly gracious. But it needs to happen. It needs to happen. See, in this instance, we see from 2 Corinthians, the second letter, the other letter that we have in the New Testament that was written to the Corinthian church, they have done exactly what Paul has told them to do. This young man didn't listen to the elders. He, they, he, he was removed from the fellowship of the congregation. But in the end of the day, God used that to lead him to repentance and to lead him to godliness again so that he was ultimately saved. That's the role of an elder, 
that's spiritual leadership exercising its spiritual authority in the life of one of the church participants. Some other points uh, that I'll just deal with quickly. The idea, again, let's go back to the idea of the shepherd. It's not only to protect the well-being of the congregation, as I've described, but it's, it's, it's to lead the flock. I want you to think about the famous uh, Psalm 23, uh, where it says, the, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me. And where do, what does the shepherd do in that instance? And again, that's Christ, and he leads us. It's the model for the under-shepherds. He leads us to green pastures and still waters. And you see the point that, that is being made here, that, that leaders lead the flock somewhere. Elders are to lead the flock into the future according to the will and according to the mind of God. It's a remarkable thing. And, 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 and that's why the elders of this church for many years have gone back to God time and again, and we formed visions, if you would, for the future. Not our thoughts, we believe, thoughts that we discern from God, and we put it on paper. We said, this is where God is leading us. This is where we sense the Lord leading us. We come to our congregation and of course we listen and we build in people's thoughts and ideas. But in the end of the day, we stand up and say, now we feel led to do this and we're going forward. And then the question of course is, will the flock follow the shepherds? And that I would suggest to you is the way that God accomplishes incredible things in his kingdom and through his people. So the idea that the shepherd is one who leads the church of Christ into the future in the way of God. Leadership. I'm going to jump over quickly. I know I'm referring to lots and lots of various passages today, and it's more of a bit of a, a biblical study than anything else. But 1 Peter 5, uh, 2 and 3, um, it's, a, it's a, a, a passage that, um, again, speaks to the reality of eldership. And I'll just read a few of these verses. Verse 2, speaking of the elders, be shepherds of God's flock, that is under your care, watching over them. That's the oversight function. And again, the reference to shepherding. Not being, not because you must, but because you are willing. As God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Now, there's a lot of incredible teaching there, but one of the things that I want to pull out of the text is that shepherds, elders, are ultimately uh, here instructed about how to lead, how to be shepherds, because that is critical in terms of functioning in the church of Christ. And, and at the end, it says, after this list is provided, you know, be examples to the people in your congregation. Uh, be examples that others can look to so that they might emulate your life. That's a, there's a, a weightiness for an elder when they think in those terms. That's a responsibility. Paul earlier has written, follow me as I follow Christ. Think of that. Look at my life. And as I follow Jesus, so follow him in a similar fashion. And you know, elders are called to that, to be examples of the flock. And then, of course, in the text it says, serve willingly, uh, show that example, serve honestly, um, with eagerness to serve other people. Let no dominating, controlling leadership style be part of what you do, but serve in love. And then verse 5. Let me read verse 5 to you. It says this. Uh, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. Isn't that interesting? All of you clothe yourself, yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Now, that's a, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing because what's being instructed here is that the younger folks are supposed to literally 
be humble in the presence of the elders of the church, to receive their leadership, to accept the authority when it's exercised in their lives. But then it goes on to say that all of you, I would suggest including the elders, are to be clothed with humility toward one another. Not to serve with pride, not to serve in a, a, a self-serving sort of way, but be, to be people of godliness and of humility in, as they exercise their role. Now, I want to just make a point. This is how I hope, IPC, you choose the elders, which we do occasionally. That you look for people who are leaders, probably people who have already served in the church in various functions. Their hearts are committed to the church. They have proved themselves as effective in that role. But my friends, that these people need to be the godliest of people in the church. They really do. They need to be the ones whose lives have been transformed by the word of God under the influence and ministry of the Holy Spirit. These are the ones ultimately who are living authentic Christian lives and therefore can be examples to the flock that others might emulate them. Now, Here's the key to what I want to say today. If these are the primary roles of an elder or of the eldership in a church, how will you respond to the elders' leadership and their spiritual authority um, when you need to in your life, in your experience? Remember, these are people that God has appointed to lead this church right now. These are the people that God has made overseers, shepherds to the flock, people representing the Lord Jesus himself. Well, there's one word that is, is primary when it comes to how the people of God are to respond, if you would, to an elder in any circumstance. And it comes to us in Hebrews 13, verse 17. It says, it says this. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. My friends, the word that's used often in terms of how the people of God are to respond to the spiritual leadership and authority of elders is the word submit. Not to resist it, not to fight it, not to push back against it, but to accept it as of God and to honor it. This is God's plan. This is God's way. This is God's intention. You know, earlier we studied Ephesians 5 in terms of marriage, and we focused on that critical verse, submit to one another of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another, husbands to wife, wife to husbands, in that particular context. And I want to tell you it is absolutely no different here because this is the way of the kingdom of God, the way of submission, the way of submission. We have to begin by recognizing that if you're in a church, you have spiritual leaders who have spiritual authority. And, and, and they are responsible to exercise that role in the life of a church. And it, would be, it will be to the blessing of that congregation. Think of your elders, I invite you. Uh, I invite you to as spiritual leaders. Your leaders. Think of them as people who have the responsibility to exercise their authority in your life. And to respond to it by submitting to it. Now, let me ask you these things as a result. If they act in your life to protect the church, what will you do? If they see divisiveness 
from some folks and they act, what will you do? If they see false teaching, if they see those who are uh, 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 deceiving, for example, and they come into your life and they seek to address these realities, again, hopefully with love and with grace, what will you do? You see, my friends, elders are to address anything that is destructive to the life of a congregation to protect it. And it is for the people of God then to submit to their intervention and to their leadership. What will happen? What will you feel? What will you do if indeed they sit down with you and they talk about the need to intervene in your life because they might see a sin in your life that you don't see? They might, they might recognize there's something here that is an incredibly destructive thing in your life, maybe even keeping you from salvation, such as the case in 1 Corinthians 5. What will you do? In my experience, one of two things happen in a lot of these. Either people repent of it and ultimately are thankful for it and in humility accept accountability and so forth, or you never see them again because they're not willing to submit to that which God has provided as a blessing to their lives. And I hope the people of IPC, if this were ever to happen to them, would say, oh, God is at work here. And I need to listen up. And I need to accept what is being brought to me. What will you do if the elders of this church ask you to follow them into the future based on a vision that God has given to them? Hmm. Can I put it a different way? Let me, let me put it this way. Have you taken seriously the vision that has been established in this church? Has it had impact in your life? Have you given it weight and significance and sought to, to find a way to join the elders in the fulfillment of that vision? I know COVID has made things difficult. We'll get back to it. It hasn't been forgotten. But you see, it's possible to honor what God has done through those men and women. Or say, well, that's not relevant to my life. Or I don't like that vision, so I'm going to not bother with it. No, 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 no. Spiritual leadership ordained by God, seeking the Lord, moving forward in a way that is good. Follow those leaders, my friends. Um, and, and, and just follow those elders as they follow Christ. That's essentially what that dynamic is. Um, and I also want to say, um, will you pray for, encourage, and support those elders? I want to read Hebrews 13, but the next verse, verse 18, it says, pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly, I'm going to go on in ver to verse 19, I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. See, the author of Hebrews is saying, pray for us, support us, care for us. Being an elder is not an easy task. I want to tell you that in all seriousness, it's quite a challenge. It's not for the faint of heart when you look at this and you understand the task. And I think what's, what, what's being suggested here is that sense of support and and, and encouragement. Listen, don't be critical of your elders. Don't talk behind their backs and condemn them for what they have done. They're not perfect. But we're the people of God need to stand with the elders. If, if you need to talk to somebody like the minister, come and talk to the minister. Don't talk to everybody else. If you need to go and talk to an elder, talk to the elder. You know, don't talk to every, anybody else about it. That's the Matthew 5, Matthew 18 dynamic. Speak to the person involved. I want to tell you, it's, it's so interesting, and I'll just say this very quickly, but you look at the Old Testament even, and you see where God, um, where he has ordained uh, leadership 
cautions his people. Think about Moses leading the Israelites through the wilderness. Numerous times they were critical of him. Uh, even to the point of wanting to kill him at one point. And you know what God, how God responded to that? He became angry with it. And in some instances, he judged it. God says, don't do that. Support and pray for. Speak to them if you need to. That's, that's fine and good and healthy. But not, not otherwise. Another quick example, King David. He's, not, he's been anointed, but he's not king yet. He's in a cave one day. King Saul is hunting him. He wants him dead. Comes into the cave to relieve himself. It's a funny story. Uh, David's soldiers said, now's your opportunity. Kill that man and you will become king. David refuses it. And then Saul leaves the cave. Uh, the cave. And I want to read to you powerful verse, 1 Samuel 24, 10. Uh, it says this, David speaking to King Saul, who is now at a distance, of course. This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. Can you hear the power of those words? You see, David refused to harm the anointed king. He was, by the way, doing a terrible job. He was an ungodly man in so many instances. But, but David recognized that he was anointed of God and he could not and he would not harm that man. And I think, by the way, that principle still, is still at play. The old translation says, touch not the Lord's anointed. Who are they, my friends? They are your elders. Don't, don't gossip and backbite and criticize. No, come to them if there's an issue. Talk. But uh, touch not the Lord's anointed. Listen, I'm going to wind down. Um, but I want you to think seriously about this IPC. This is such an important thing. There is spiritual leadership and there is spiritual authority which God desires to be exercised in a church. And look at, look at what it provides. On the one hand, if, if nobody touches the false teaching, a church becomes heretical and it's, des it's destroyed versus a church that is biblically faithful and understands the truth of God. And, uh, you know, the, the divisive ones, the church becomes divided. No unity in the church. It lacks the blessing of God versus a church which is unified because the elders have stepped in to protect that unity. Think about a church that has, has been deceived and is confused versus a church which understands the truth of God. Think of a church <laughs> that... Sin has been allowed to run rampant and it's a sinful, corrupt church versus a church that is pure and holy because of the ministry of the elders. Think of a church that is directionless and, and is going nowhere in particular, maybe is just stuck versus a church which be, is being led into the future which will become powerful for God. When, when God's leaders lead under his direction, churches in the New Testament and beyond, of course, have an impact for the Lord and for the kingdom. And lastly, the idea of supporting versus being critical. A church which is consumed in criticism and, 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 and so forth uh, tears itself apart versus a church which is encouraging and supportive and prayerful for its, its leadership. My friends, in the end of the day, I say to you, God has given you spiritual leadership. He's given me spiritual leadership in the presbytery and so forth and all of our elders. But he, he establishes spiritual leadership. He ordains people to le spiritual leadership to exercise his authority in a congregation. And I say to you, have you, will, your, will you place your life under the spiritual leadership and authority of, of the elders of this church, both now and going into the future? They are to be a blessing of God to you and they will be a blessing of God to you. 
as long as you recognize them representing the Lord. Accept, respect, and to submit that those, uh, uh, respect and submit to those people who God has placed as overseers, as shepherds in this church and in your life. Let's pray. Lord, I think for many people this will be uh, an unusual sermon. Uh, it's, it's the kind of thing that, that isn't preached too very often anymore, but Lord, it's so weaved into the New Testament as you define and describe your church. My goodness, this role is, is significant. And Lord, I would pray first of all for the elders of our congregation. I pray that you would empower them and that you would enable them. Lord, that you would guide them. Lord, that you would make them holy and pure in your sight as they live their lives, that they might be examples to the flock. <clears throat> and I pray, Lord, that you give them courage to engage all of these responsibilities, exercising the authority that you have given to them as, you, as they represent you to this congregation. And then, Lord, I pray for this church and any other church that happens to be listening to this preaching. I pray, Lord, that you will give the people of God the humility and the wisdom to submit to the oversight of their eldership. Lord, to be open to the elders acting as they are called to biblically, <clears throat> that they might find incredible blessing from your hand, that they might be part of a church that is thriving and Christ-centered and faithful to Christ and to his word. So Lord, I, I just pray for this congregation in particular that, that uh, you will move in these ways, that we will be faithful to scripture as it has uh, come to us, that we might be the church that you call us to be, that we might honestly be unified and filled with love for one another, and powerful in your hand as we seek to impact this world and to build your kingdom. God, make the spiritual leadership of this congregation a great blessing to the people who are the church. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.